History of Persia is a Hopful Media podcast production. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special announcement episode of the History of Persia. It's been a while since I did one of these. The last one was all the way back in the fall of 2019. Funny thing, when you putz around and don't make an announcement for months on end, you end up with a big backlog of things to tell people. Since the last time I did one of these, a whole bunch has changed. The first announcement episode was mostly to introduce ads and Patreon. By now, I'm sure you're familiar with my advertisements and affiliate programs. After all, you just heard one, and I've been talking about Patreon for a while. That said, even if you aren't a Patreon subscriber yet, you may want to head over there and check out the ongoing Gothas project. From November to February, I will be releasing a recording of one of the five Gothas on Patreon each month. These episodes will be freely and publicly available, but hosted only on Patreon. The first of the five, the Gotha Ahuna Vaiti, is already up as a patron exclusive, but it will be included in a sort of audiobook when the project is complete. The new feature I want to announce today is the introduction of the one-time payments through the official website, historyofpersiapodcast.com. I've been trying to get this up and running for over a year now. At first, WordPress required that I upgrade my hosting plan, and then things just kept changing, but now it should be all worked out. If you don't want to use Patreon or you want to support the show without having to worry about another monthly subscription, you can now make a one-time donation or contribution on historyofpersiapodcast.com, where you'll see a button near the top of every page that reads One-Time Contribution. 
If you click the button, a payment window will open up and you can input your payment information. The bottom box allows you to type in any amount you want, big or small, and give one-time financial support for the show. This won't get you access to the patron subscriber content, but it will help make sure that I am able to commit more time and improvements to the podcast. Payment information is never stored or shared, even with me. Speaking of payments, it is always a good time to remind everyone about Patreon. For anyone who doesn't remember what exactly is going on there, Patreon is a site that gives online creators like me a platform to get some financial support from listeners like you. In exchange for your support, there are a range of benefits available depending on what tier you sign up with. Right now, $1 per month gets you access to my monthly email list, where I provide some behind-the-scenes information about how production is going, a sneak peek at what's coming next, and some of my own book and podcast recommendations. The tiers stack, so for $3 per month, you get that email list and an ad-free version of the podcast feed. For $5 per month, you get that, plus access to the exclusive bonus episode each month. So far, that includes a whole variety of topics that either didn't fit into the regular narrative or aren't necessarily part of the narrative that I'm telling but are interesting all the same. Things like the Bronze Age Collapse, the history of the Medes and the family lineage of Cyrus and Darius, or things like the modern discoveries of early modern scholars like Sir Henry Rawlinson, or even just ancillary topics like the story of Democides, a Greek physician in service to Queen Atossa, which is told by Herodotus but never quite fit into the narrative. All sorts of different similar things will be coming as we progress through the show. $10 gets you access to that, plus some of my own work on the ancient world from outside the podcast. And finally, a subscription of $20 per month gets everything, plus the right to request a bonus topic. I also have plans to update and change some things over the next year or two, especially in regard to those higher value tiers, like the $10 and $20 range. If those options sound interesting to you, you can find all of them at patreon.com slash historyofpersia. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot c-o-m slash historyofpersia. Links in the description of this episode. If every listener pledged just $1 per month, it would be a a truly unfathomable amount of support for my personal passion project, and B, more than enough to justify making this podcast into my full-time job. Of course, I can hardly expect that from everyone. I do make this show free on purpose, especially with times like these. That is why I have multiple benefit tiers. That said, if even a small percentage of listeners opted for ad-free listening or bonus episodes, it would be absolutely massive for me and for the podcast. Sticking with a theme of support, I also want to do a sort of state-of-the-podcast update. Since the last time I did something like this, which was, I think, for the first anniversary of the podcast in February of 2020, 
we've come a long way. In the last 10 months, we've crested not just 300,000 total downloads, but 400,000, and we're rapidly approaching half a million. Episode 1 has been heard over 20,000 times, which, again, truly astounding. Thank you all so much. I also want to thank the more than 200 people who have left reviews on iTunes and other podcast services. Your reviews are both very encouraging and constructive, and I really do greatly appreciate them. A special shout-out to listeners in Eastern Europe who have successfully pushed History of Persia into the top 100 or 200 history podcasts in several countries more than any other region. And an even bigger thank you to listeners in Malta who have me competing with the likes of History of Philosophy Without Any Gaps, Stuff You Should Know, and Bill Gates. That's just bizarrely cool to me. Now for the less good news. Some of you who are in the know about how podcast advertising works might have noticed that I have been relying on affiliate programs. These are relationships where I have to get interaction for the company instead of being paid per ad or per view. I've had a bit of success with the affiliates, and it's kind of fun because there is more freedom in what I'm advertising. That said, I'd also like to get some traction with more typical and, honestly, better-paying advertisements. To do this, I am going to start including midpoint ads that break up the episode on rare occasions, and I do want to stress that. I don't personally prefer these ads, and my goal is just to get the ball rolling and get some new interest in ads that go at the beginning of the episodes. So, like I said, this will be a rarity, and I only really want to insert those ads in episodes that have a natural break somewhere in the middle. Originally, I had intended to put it between the discussion of Egypt and Babylon in the last episode, but I couldn't get this announcement up in time. So just be aware of that going forward. You may even hear one in just a second. Like the last big fundraising announcement episode, I don't just want to ask for money. I also want to tell you about it. So today we're going to talk about Dariks the first currency of the Persian Empire minted by and for the Achaemenids. Maybe after these messages. I routinely wish that I knew more languages. Even right in the middle of the US, I run into Spanish speakers all the time, and my social media always has a little Persian, Arabic, some Dutch and German. Rosetta Stone does help. It's the most trusted language learning program after all. It's also conveniently available on desktop or on the go as an app and has some really cool features that truly immerse you in the language you're learning. Just the first steps, like learning a new alphabet and some simple phrases, helped open new doors, and Rosetta Stone is a great choice as the trusted expert in this for 30 years and millions of users with 25 languages available to learn. 
They focus on fast language acquisition without English translations to help you learn, speak, listen, and think in your new language while building long-term retention. Their true accent speech recognition also gives feedback on pronunciation, which can be really important for languages like Persian, where how you say something is very important. And on top of being available for desktop and mobile, you have the option to download lessons and take them offline. This is also all available at a steal. You can get lifetime membership, all 25 languages, for 50% off. Don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, History of Persia listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Okay, well, hopefully something happened there. Or at the very least, happens there for the second batch of listeners who are still catching up. So, the Persian Darik. Last time I checked in on Persian currency, in the last fundraising announcement, Cyrus the Great had more or less adopted the Lydian Crescid as the only currency minted by the Persian government. They were the end product of the first coins invented in Lydia, minted in gold and silver, which featured a lion and a bull confronting one another on the face. Good times. In the 30 years following Cyrus's conquest of Lydia, coinage rapidly became more common and more popular in the Aegean, spurred on by the widespread adoption of coins in Greek city-states. That meant that Greek coins were pushing into the market and even being minted by Persian subjects in Ionia, Lydia, Phrygia, the surrounding islands, and partially in Egypt. When Darius began making all of those reforms, which led Herodotus to call him a shopkeeper, he took one look at these coins and must have said to himself, This is great, but it could use a little bit more me. He also probably recognized the utility of coinage and the necessity to regulate it if he wanted to maintain control over his economy in the northwestern provinces. Thus, the Daric was born. Daric, like so many of the words I introduce in this podcast, is actually the Latinized form of the Greek form of a Persian word. The Greeks appear to have associated the coins with Darius's name, and called them Darekoi. That makes sense, given that Darius was the one who ordered their creation, and probably the person whose picture was on every coin. The thing is, it probably wasn't the actual word used in Persian, but a misunderstanding of a similar word. All Dariks were gold, while their silver counterparts were called Sigloi. The old Persian word for gold was actually dari. Forgive my pronunciation here, the modern Persian word tahila is borrowed from Arabic. It is also entirely unrelated to the dara and dara yaivaush, 
Darius's name in Old Persian. This name for the coins is backed up by their name in Hebrew, which was a darkonim, where Darius is called Daryavesh. So you can see there's not as direct a connection in other languages between Darik and Darius. Whether or not the Greeks originally used Darekoi because of the word Dari, or if they always associated it with the king's name, the coins were eventually associated with Darius's name anyway. Not that this confusion mattered that much in the Greek world, because the Greeks quickly adopted a nickname for the Persian currency, Takatai, or archers. The name is significantly easier to pin down. They were called archers because every coin featured the picture of an archer on its face. Technically, the identity of this figure is unknown. Unlike some modern coins, it isn't labeled. Modern people tend to assume it is the Persian king because national leaders on currency is pretty standard practice today. But in the 5th century BCE, most of the coins in circulation had the picture of a god, or the symbol of whichever city-slash-kingdom was minting the coins. The trend of putting the face of a leader on coinage really took off with Alexander the Great, which we'll eventually get to. It's possible that the Dariks actually depict a mythical hero, a personified god, or just a generic royal figure. The characteristics of the person on the Darik never really changed over the years, but the best guess is still that it represents the king. Every iteration of the Darik depicts a figure kneeling, wearing the typical Elamite-style robe and Kedaris headdress of the king. Their beards differ a little bit. However, the kings continued to depict themselves in the traditional style, well after they stopped actually dressing and wearing their beards that way all the time. So it may be a more general kingly figure. Anyway, it's some kind of royal figure, and the king makes sense from a propaganda standpoint, which is why royal faces eventually became popular on coinage in later eras. So what exactly do these coins look like? Well, if you cast your memory back to that last fundraising episode, they look a bit like creases. Most ancient coins were not the perfect circles we're familiar with today, but that was roughly the shape they were going for. Unlike their Greek neighbors, the Persians never adopted the practice of stamping both sides of the coin with a hammer and die. Instead, they would press an image into one side from the reverse while the metal was still soft, leaving a dent where the tails would be on more familiar coins. As I said, all Dariks were gold. The Achaemenids instituted a bimetallic standard for their currency, with the large Darik in gold holding a higher value and the smaller silver Siglos acting as the smaller denomination, with a standard rate of 13 Sigloi to 1 Darik. I'll discuss the Sigloi at a later date, partially because I'll run out of Achaemenid coins to do these announcements with if I don't. Both coins used the same designs, which have been identified in four types that roughly correspond to four different periods in time. 
They were created at Mints, which seemed to have been located at Sardis, where the original Cresids were minted, and eventually in Babylon. Precisely dating these coins is very difficult because none have ever been found loose in a distinct archaeological setting like a ship, tomb, or battlefield. Instead, they are almost exclusively found in treasure hoards, mixed in with coins of other cities and types from as far away as Italy, and they were often collected long after they were first minted. Type 1 is known only from the Silver Siegloi, but it's speculated that it may have been used on early Dariks as well. It's also possible that only the Siegloi were minted for the first few years. This Type 1 design depicts the usual royal figure in a kneeling position, with a quiver on his back looking to the right. His left arm is bent and holding a bow, while his right arm is at a 90 degree angle and holding two arrows. The overall design changed very little over the whole course of Achaemenid history, with the major difference from type to type being what the figure is doing with his hands. And of course, I will post pictures of all of these on the website. We don't know when Type 1 was first minted, probably sometime after 512 BCE, but we have no idea when the Type 2 design entered circulation, just that it was at some point before 500. We don't have any coins with dates on them, but instead a tablet with a coin on it. One of the tablets in the Persepolis Fortification Archive, dated to Regnal Year 22 under Darius, has an impression of a Type 2 Doric pressed into the back. Year 22 equals 500 BC, therefore Type 2 was in use sometime before that. Type 2 changed very little, literally just the arms. In the new design, the left arm is still holding the bow, but it is now extended out in front of the king. The right arm is now bent back, with the elbow behind the king. The two arrows have been replaced with a long spear, pointed down with the shaft crossing the king's body and extending just above the quiver on his back. You can even see the outline of the apple-shaped counterweight on the base of the spear, the same one that led to the Greeks calling the Persian immortals the apple-bearers. Type 2 appears to have surged in production after 490 BCE, which gives a tempting connection to the Ionian Revolt and preparations for the second invasion of Greece. That even makes sense. After the war, there would have been a lot left to do in Ionia. People would need to be paid to rebuild, and materials or supplies would have to be purchased. The navy would need preparation as well. All of this came at the added propaganda benefit of dumping shiny golden pictures of the powerful Persian king into Greek circulation through trade. After Type 2, we get to Type 3, which is by far the most common, and it seems to have been a product of Xerxes' reign, starting around 485, but lasting until 420 BCE, in the reign of Darius II. This design shifts the kneeling position from the right knee firmly on the ground to slightly raised, as if the king is about to get up and start running. Keeping with the theme of a more active image, 
the right arm has also moved. The right hand is now held over the king's shoulder, as if he is about to thrust his spear downward. This is by far the most common and also represents the period in which a Caymanid currency really seems to have taken off in the western parts of the empire and in the Greek world. Finally, we reach type 4, which may have been concurrent with the last of the type 3 Dariks, and then it lasted after the earlier version was discontinued. Type 4 once again changes significantly. The left hand and bow are pulled back toward the king's body. The whole right arm is now positioned behind the king, with the hand parallel to the ground. The spear has been replaced by a dagger, presumably an akinakes, the traditional symbol of Persian nobility. The type 4 remained in use late into the empire, though never in the same numbers as the type 3. It was also the design used on the so-called double Dariks that were in circulation when Alexander conquered Babylon. These were rare coins, twice the size of a regular Darik, and thus twice the value. Different sources say that the Darik was minted on either the Athenian Euboic standard or the Babylonian weight standard. An Athenian drachma weighed 8.5 grams, while the Babylonian shekel weighed 8.4 grams. The shekel is the more likely basis, given that most weights, measures, and laws in the Achaemenid Empire were based on Babylonian precedents. The gold coins circulated widely in the empire, but were of most use in the West, where foreign, mostly Greek, traders were also using coinage. In the East, gold discs were valuable as gold, but didn't have the fiat value uh, intrinsic in a proper currency. While it did enjoy wide circulation, the Darik was never what you would call common, purely because of its immense value. One coin was the value of a mercenary foot soldier's monthly salary. Day-to-day -day transaction would have been handled in silver coinage, whether in the form of a sigloi or of a Greek drachma. In the Aegean, the Daric competed for supremacy and popularity with the Athenian tetradrachma, a massive silver coin equivalent to four of the smaller standard ones. Likewise, the tetradrachma was also impractical in day-to-day -day use and would be used like the Daric for large transactions requiring an impractical number of more typical silver coins. The Daric was also the only gold coin to see constant circulation in the classical period, partially because the Achaemenids had a near monopoly on gold itself. Silver mines were more common and productive in the Greek world, meaning that silver was more readily available for coinage in more places. Eventually, the Daric was replaced, first losing popularity in the west to the golden stator minted by Philip II of Macedon, and then supplanted almost entirely by the golden victory staters of Alexander. In the centuries following the collapse of the Persian Empire, the Daric would fade away to be replaced by both local currencies and the Seleucid coinage based on the classical Athenian standards. 
And that brings me to the end of this much longer than expected little announcement episode. I hope those of you who are nerds about old coins found this one interesting. And for everyone else who just thought it was neat information about Persia, you can find more information and more episodes at historyofpersiapodcast.com and even more content if you head over and look at Patreon and sign up at one of those tiers to support the show. More episodes are on the way, and until next time, thank you for listening to The History of Persia. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.